0: If you could take out your Bibles for this morning's reading which comes from the book of Acts chapter 5 verses 12 through 42 beginning in chapter 5 verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them but the people held them in high esteem. and sent them to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come, come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law and held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thetis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from the house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You may be seated.
1: Uh, if you're visiting, welcome. Um, you've come on a day where we have a lengthy passage before us. Rather than break this up, it's not intended really to be broken up, so we're going to look at the whole, and there'll be some application along the way. So before we look at it together, let's go before the Lord and ask for his help in this time. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask that you would confirm to us the gospel, that we've been graced to believe. For we know that if we do not ask, we shall not receive. So being undeserving of your blessing, we ask that out of the abundance of your grace, you would bring your spirit upon us now as we hear your word. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Uh, Jesus, you remember, said, "I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it." That is exactly what's happening in Acts, uh, and we here this morning are a local expression of that promise. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to to make disciples. Friends, Christians are disciples. Disciples are Christians. I hear this distinction made today that, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I was a Christian for this long, but not a disciple. Look, if you're a Christian, you're a disciple, and if you're a disciple, you're a Christian. Amen? A disciple, okay, a Christian, is someone who trusts Christ, trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, and lives his or her life according to that trust. If we're justified by faith alone, which we are, our faith will not remain alone. But it will result in lifelong discipleship. Those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we saw back in chapter 2 and verse 42, um, regularly gather for worship, for prayer, for the breaking of bread and preaching of the apostles' doctrine. Uh, Without those elements, in a so-called church, you don't have a church. All you have is a crowd. Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are are sanctified by way of the word of God, prepared for the work of ministry, equipped for evangelism. I mean, that, beloved, that is the objective and the goal of our gathering together. Exhorting one another within and evangelizing others without. We gather together to be equipped in order to do both. Because, friends, the Lord builds his church by way of his church. Healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. He uses the saints to draw in his elect. You and I, we know not who God's elect are, meaning those who are yet unregenerate. If you're in Christ, you're God's elect. There's others who are God's elect who are not yet regenerate, but through his people, those who are saved, those who are being sanctified, he reaches those unregenerate people by way of the gospel proclaimed. I mean that's our that's why we're that's why we're here. That's why we're on this earth. To speak to people, verse 20, all words of this life, which is just another way to say the gospel. All the words of this life, all the while, beloved, realizing that as we do that, there will be persistent opposition, as we see here in this account. So, uh, therefore, we need courage, amen? We need boldness, And throughout redemptive history, whenever God does a great and obvious work, there almost always seems to be a corresponding reaction by the powers of darkness. A a satanic counterattack. Of persecution from the outside, as well as division from the inside. Satan works from both ends. Now last time, we we looked at an attack from within. And that is, there there was an attempt to divide, to disgrace, and to destroy the church, the early church of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, um, allowed Satan, as Peter pointed out to Ananias, uh, you allowed Satan to fill your heart to lie. The Holy Spirit. Now that attack that attack entered through the activity of hypocrisy. And God killed on the spot Ananias and Sapphira. Now you may wonder why such severe discipline. Well, to answer that, this was a very pivotal time in the formation of the Church of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was great revival. Great revival within redemptive history. So God responds to sin promptly and with great severity. There were lessons learned. Would you say there were great lessons learned? Um, the church, by way of that judgment, was actually spared from any any worse drift. It's a blessing. So in this case, we read that that great fear fell not only on the church, but also those on the outside. And we see that in verse 5, along with verses 11 and, and 13. So as the leaven was removed, notice our first observation this morning, and that is that kingdom power was now on display. Verses 12 to 16. Notice in verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. Multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number to such an extent. Notice that, that even they even carried the sick out under the streets, laid them on cots and on pallets so that when Peter came by, At least his (coughs) shadow might fall on any one of them. The sick, the afflicted, um, those afflicted with unclean um, spirits, we read, uh, were being healed. Okay, now before we get into the heart um, of this message, I don't want to jump over this section with regard to signs and wonders. It's important that we understand uh, signs and wonders that we read about. Why don't they happen today? Quite simply because the apostles are all dead. They're in heaven. And notice, what kind of signs were they? Signs of? An apostle. Can God heal anyone he wants anytime he wants? Absolutely. Does he? Absolutely. Does he do it through the hands of men like these apostles where just uh, the casting of one's shadow, people are healed? No. These are signs and wonders through the hands, through the lives of the apostles And and only those, in addition to the apostles, who were closely associated with the apostles, the likes of Stephen and and Philip and and Barnabas, that we'll read about in coming chapters. Friends, what this is, is is kingdom power that is distributed through the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember back in Acts 1, um, our resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Um, appeared to his disciples over uh, a period of 40 days. And we read that he was speaking of things to them concerning the kingdom of God. And that that has to do with the, the, the extent of his kingdom. That through them, they would extend his kingdom to the known world. He said this, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem and ultimately to the ends of the earth. So what we're seeing, beloved, in Acts is what we witnessed in the Gospel of Mark. And what we witnessed in the Gospel of Mark through the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ was an inbreaking of the new what? the new creation. With the new covenant comes the new creation. So the new creation, that's what the kingdom is. Um, the age to come, in other words, has begun with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus commenced his ministry, you remember this early on in Mark, and he was casting out demons, and the, 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 the hypocritical leaders of the day um, accused him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul, Satan. And Jesus said this. Look at it, Matthew 12, 25. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has what? Come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house, verse 29, and and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Friends, the kingdom upon you simply means that this is the inbreaking of the new creation by way of God's one and only son. The strong man is Satan. God promised Satan, the dragon, in Genesis 3.15, that he will put enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of Satan. There'll be enmity there. And through the line of the woman, one will come who will what? Crush the head of the serpent. Crush the head of Satan. The reason Jesus came, notice 1 John 3.8... The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That is, Revelation 20, when Jesus came, died, ascended, he bound Satan from any longer deceiving the nations. Does that mean he's bound from having any influence? Any power? No. He's bound from deceiving the nations as he once did, before Jesus came. That's why the gospel is able to go out with power to the four corners of the earth, and we are recipients of that power. The keys of the kingdom have unlocked the darkness of our heart. That is, the gospel of Jesus Christ has lifted the veil. Here we are today as recipients of that promise. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. He's a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. So through the ministries of our Lord Jesus Christ and the ministries of these apostles, we see, beloved, anticipated expressions of the fullness of the age that is to come. The fullness of of the kingdom when it comes. So these are expressions of what will ultimately be when this current kingdom is consummated. Jesus comes back, new heaven and new earth. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more dying. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more disease. These signs are signs of that. And remember, a sign always points to something greater than itself. These signs of an apostle, these signs of Messiah, point to this new age when it comes in its fullness. So, what we get to see are signs of it through this, the early church, to validate the apostles as witnesses of Jesus. You will be my witnesses. Who was he speaking to? His apostles. There are no apostles today, regardless of, of what people say of themselves. And these signs went out with the apostles. Amen? This is what we're seeing. We're seeing an inbreaking of the new creation, continuing evidence here of things concerning the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the things Jesus spoke about for those 40 days, now these apostles are witnesses of that great truth and power. Amen? You'd think that would be simple. There's a lot of bad doctrine out there today and people bite and they don't let go. Remember when Christ was in his earthly ministry and it was his garment that a woman wanted to touch? If only I could touch his garment, I will be healed. She touched it, she was healed. Here now, one of his apostles It's believed that his his shadow will heal people. So here they are rushing these people out into the street with the hopes that Peter's shadow, this one who's been preaching signs of an apostle, will will, will be cast over one of these people laying on on a bed on the street to be healed. And notice all these being healed by way of the signs of an apostle. And remember, one of the principles of Acts, anytime there's a miracle in Acts, it was an avenue for what? The gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached. That was their purpose. Because the new creation is breaking in and continues to break in by souls of men and women being transformed by gospel power from on high. Amen? Amen? When Jesus comes back, it's a new heaven and a new earth and final judgment. So, until then, we continue on with this the most important, the most vital ministry of all, and that is to hold out this, these, the words of life, the gospel. Because all these folks who were healed, they went on to die. They went on to die. They went on to die of either their last disease or their uh, last fatal accident. These were signs, a foretaste of what's to come in its fullness. That's what all this is about. Amen? Are we good? All right. Second observation. The corresponding reaction of the Sanhedrin. Notice what it is. Jealousy. So here we are back to opposition from the outside in verses 17 to 34. Verse 17, the high priest rose up along with the Sadducees. Now notice, they're filled with the same thing that Ananias and Sapphira were filled with. Jealousy. Ananias was jealous for the reputation of Barnabas. These men are jealous about what? Notice. Notice. They're jealous of the name of Jesus, that these men are preaching in his name, and not only that, but God was doing these great miracles through them. The result? People were following them. People were beginning to follow Peter and the apostles and friends. This is what they wanted, a following. They wanted to have a name among the people. This is jealous outrage. That's the response to the preaching of the gospel of Peter and the apostles and them, these men, as witnesses of gospel power. Signs, wonders, gospel proclamation in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, jealousy is one of the major sins that we find throughout the book of Acts an ugly sin. Jealousy can lead to mutiny. It can lead to to a coup, a governmental coup or, or a church coup. When people are jealous because, you know, God is using certain individuals in a mighty way and jealousy we see even leads to murder. So here the Sanhedrin out of jealous rage Plot here to put the apostles in jail, thinking this will solve their problem. Just get rid of the problem. If you want it to go away, put it away. Lock it up. If need be, kill it. Verse 18, they, apostles, are in public jail. See, they don't realize their problem, the Sanhedrin, their problem, it's not with the apostles. Their problem is with the God of the apostles. The risen Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19, God responds. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. Notice what the angel does not say. This this is an awful thing, guys. This is terrible. Does he say that? No. Go run for your lives. Here, I just set you free. He doesn't say that. No. Verse 19b, taking them out, he said. Okay, notice. Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. You know where y'all were just arrested? That's where I want you to go. Go back. Do it again. The natural man does not think like this. We think, oh, that's the last thing we should do. He says, go back. Preach it. Bring it. The whole message of life. And again, the whole message of life is just another way of speaking about the gospel, the kingdom, the new creation, the last days. Verse 21. So in the morning, they go back and they continue to preach the words of this life. So this angelic jailbreak, unbeknownst to the high priest and his little crew, reconvene their meeting. They think the boys are still locked up so they dispatch, they dispatch a messenger to go and retrieve these men and bring them back into court. Go retrieve these maverick apostles. Notice, when they get there, the prison's secure, guards are in place, they open the door, it's empty. The, the report was simple. Man, they have Disappeared. They're nowhere to be found. Notice, they're they're greatly perplexed. And while they wondered about these things, verse 25, someone came and reported to them. "Um, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. I, I just love this. Love it. Notice verse 26, then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. That is to say, the captain goes along with the arresting squad so that the people wouldn't witness any kind of police brutality, fearing that the people would pick up stones and stone them. So they send the captain to to, to ensure that these apostles are handled with kid gloves. Here they are. These are hypocrites, man. Counterfeits. And nothing exposes a counterfeit faster than the appearance of the genuine. And when Jesus, the Christ, son of the living God, God incarnate, showed up on this earth in their midst... They hated it, and they hated him. This world hates Christ, the true Christ, the living Christ, the biblical Christ. And if you're going to proclaim his name, beloved, which we're called to do, we're going to learn from this text, where do we get this kind of courage? You're going to learn, if you haven't already, the world hates the name of Jesus Christ. and they may very well hate you when his name comes out of your mouth. This is gospel life. Amen? We call it big boy football. This is life. We herald his name. I know that's not easy, but hopefully we'll glean from this text how we can gain courage to do so. And if you don't pray for it, start there. Amen? Start there. Notice what these apostates tell them, verse 27. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Okay, one point to pick up on here, beloved. Notice, they're they're teaching this name. They said, you're teaching this name. You continue to teach this name. They don't mention the name of Jesus. It's just this name. You're preaching in this name. Their hatred toward Jesus was so deep They refer to him as the name and, in verse 28, the man. Do not be teaching. This word teaching comes from the same word, which means doctrine. That's our favorite word around here, is it not? That's our favorite word. We live in an age where many evangelical Christians, I think they're Christians, Say, you know, do- doctrine doesn't matter to me. Just give me Jesus. And as I said before, which Jesus are you talking about? The Jesus of the Bible? Son of God? Eternal second person of the Godhead? God incarnate? Who, who came and upheld God's law and laid down his life? No man took his life. No, no, no man takes my life, Jesus said, I lay it down. Was raised the third day, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the next time he comes back, he's coming to judge. That Jesus? You mean the one that God slaughtered on the cross? He, he didn't die a brutal death merely by the hands of sinful men. God the Father sent the Son to crush the Son in order to atone for sins. That Jesus? Friends, that's Doctrine. Doctrine. Doctrine matters because truth matters. Truth matters because God matters. This is his message. This is his word. That's his son. To whom the Father has delegated all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He's given all judgment to me. The Father judges no one. I'm the judge. And watch out when he comes. That's our message. You think people are going to just kiss you on the cheek for that every time you proclaim it? <sighs> think again. I've been at it for a little bit. My doctor told me I went to see him pre op stuff, and he knows what I do. He's a great guy. I love him. He's funny. He tells me, Hey, you make people happy with your message? I said, dude, I preach the gospel. <laughs> I said, the response is always divided. He goes, just go make them happy. Do your best to make them happy. I says, no, man, I, I preach the truth. The truth. And I, I, He looked a bit perplexed, but, but anyway, he's a great guy. It's funny. That just happened the other day. Anyway. No, and notice, notice the irony here. You intend to bring this man's blood on us. Do you remember what these men cried out when they were calling for the crucifixion of Jesus? And Pilate said, man, I find no guilt in this guy. I wash my hands of this. What'd they say? Let his blood be upon us and our children. Mhm. Mhm. So here, th- this guilty brood of vipers want to stifle the voice of those who are speaking the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And things have not changed. Things have not changed. But in verse 29, notice, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And then Peter launches into one of his sermons, preaching the gospel really in less than 35 words. In verses 30 to 32, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He's the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and as a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him, that is those who believe. So notice, Peter declares the chief components of the gospel, the essential elements of the message of this life. If you want to know what the, the, the essential elements of the gospel are, they're right there. It's right there. They proclaim the death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus Christ as as prince, as leader, as savior, upon whose shoulders the government, that is the authority and the power of all nations, rest upon his shoulders. He rules now, friends. He's the king of the kingdom, the gospel kingdom, the new age, new creation has been inaugurated. Notice, they proclaim Christ who, who, who saves and grants repentance. Verse 31, to, to Israel first. You guys get first shot to repent and believe. That's basically what he's saying. At this early stage of the church, we are witnesses, the Holy Spirit is witness, and our, our miracles vindicate our message. We're his true apostles. We're witnesses of the Christ. And they say this, your your, your guilt need not remain on you. In other words, forgiveness is available. To these who call for the blood of Christ, forgiveness is available to you. I need the forgiveness. My fellow apostles needed the forgiveness. And here we offer it to you in the name of Jesus Christ whose blood was shed to atone for sinners. Repent and believe these words of life and you shall be saved from the wrath of the Lamb. Message is the same this morning. It's available to you. Embrace him. Believe on him. Repent of your sin and your unbelief. You'll be saved. Words of life. But, verse 33, when they heard this, okay, glorious gospel news, good news. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. That's jealousy on display. Intended to kill them. And and, in the word here, cut, I'm um, cut to the quick. It's a word that means to saw in half. It speaks of a violent kind of mental agitation and anguish deep within. Cut to the quick. Agitated. Raging. Violent. Violence in the core of their being. To this, the gospel. One of the greatest things, friends, about gospel preaching is that it is never, ever neutral. Never. Nobody ever walks through these doors in this church and leaves the same. Ever. You either come and listen by faith and you're blessed. And sanctified under the proclamation, under the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, being made more and more like Christ, or you enter in, you do not listen with the ears of faith, and you walk out, and your condemnation is greater than when you came in. You're becoming calloused, hardened. You're not neutral, man. You might sit here, I'm I'm neutral, I'm on the fence. No, you're becoming hardened. Don't fool yourself, man. You always leave a changed man, changed woman, changed boy, changed girl, for the better or for the worse, in Christ or still outside of Christ. There's no in between. You know, if people sit and smile and enjoy the gospel being preached, it's for one of two reasons. You've either been converted, right? Or the preacher hasn't preached the gospel. If you've got a room filled with, let's say, 50% believers, 50% unbelievers, and everyone's smiling when the gospel is being preached, the preacher isn't preaching. Amen, brother. I think that was an amen laugh, I think. (laughs) Amen, right on. You know, I've said before, the last thing I want is for unbelievers to feel comfortable here. Do I want them to feel welcome? Yes. Do I want them to feel loved by y'all? Yes. Do I want them to feel comfortable under the preaching? An unbeliever that is? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I want you to see what Jonathan Edwards preached. Sinners in the hands of an angry God, dangling by a thread over the fires of hell. And only one can deliver. And it's one who bore the wrath of hell upon himself. Jesus, this Christ, son of the living God. This is is their preaching. This is what these men are resolved to do. We must obey God rather than man. So here, this outraged council, made made up mainly, by by the way, mainly of Sadducees, it also did include some very well-educated Pharisees. Now, they're in the minority, the Pharisees were, but some of them were greatly respected for their learning, and Gamaliel was one of them. Remember who Gamaliel was? The master tutor of one named Saul of Tarsus apostle Paul. His teacher. Notice verse 35. He said to them, this is Gamaliel, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined with him. But he was killed And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. So he's given this little history lesson of these individuals who have come up and drawn attention to themselves, and he mentions another one, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census, drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in this, this present case, I say to you, stay away from these men, and let them alone, for if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may be even found fighting against God. This is the case, beloved, of an unbeliever who has no clue at all how much truth is coming out of his mouth. Gamaliel was not a believer. This is like Balaam's donkey. Right? God spoke through a donkey. Old Testament lesson. And here he does it again. A human donkey. Unbeliever. Jealous. Outraged. Over the name above all names. So they they took his advice, verse 40, and after calling the apostles in, they flog them. Okay, they take the advice and then flog them. These are just how brilliant are they. Okay, and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. Friends, this is likely 40 lashes minus one. Okay, this isn't a couple bumps in the head and some kick to the kicks to the ribs. This is 39 lashes. This is a, a, a whipping. whooping. I used to get whoopings. Wasn't abused, I was loved. That's why I got whooped. These men are whipped. 39 lashes. So after having been jailed, threatened with their lives, they're, they're whipped. The reaction? Verse 41. Joy. 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 They rejoiced. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Beautiful. Think, friends, imagine Peter. Okay, imagine Peter, right here, the one who watched his Lord lawlessly tried and beaten, only to deny him three times in the same night. And we read in the Scripture that at the moment of his third denial, Luke 22:61, 61, Jesus, whose hands would have been bound, turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? And it says, the scripture says, he went out and he wept bitterly. Imagine. Peter. Beaten. For preaching his Lord, the Lord he denied. Flogged. For boldly declaring Jesus Christ. No wonder he left rejoicing. Amen. Verse 42 And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Notice they don't say, man, we should take a day off. I'm in pain. I got to limp now. Let's, let's, let, let's take a day off. You know, we should move away. Or no, maybe we won't move away. I have a better idea. Let, let, let's tone down the message. You hear any of that? No. Yes, Jesus is Lord for me. He may not be for you, and and, and so long as you're sincere, I'm sure God's going to let you in. After all, God is love. Is that the gospel? That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's toning down the message. Not these men. You know, the question often comes up, you know, how long do you suppose before preachers who truly preach will will be um, arrested for their politically incorrect messages? Not sure. But one thing I do know is that being under Christian influence for so long in the Western world, we, we have suffered minimal persecution. That's all gone now. Now, I don't want to go to jail. But if I were thrown in jail for the gospel, that'd be great. That would be great. The Lord will grant grace in the time of what? Need. I don't know if I could stand and profess Christ if they held um, a knife to my throat. If you're a Christian, he'll grant you the grace, not until you need it You know, American churches often highlight pers- uh, praying for the persecuted church abroad. That's fine. That's okay. But let me tell you this. With the persecuted church, you know who's in the church. With the church persecuted, You know she's pure. What did Jesus say to the church being persecuted um, in Smyrna? Be faithful unto death. You're going to be thrown into prison. Be faithful unto death, and you will receive the crown of life. That's his encouragement to the church of Smyrna. It baffles me that there is not more attention given that is in America, to, to the effort with regarding prayer on behalf of the compromised church. Because with the compromised church, you don't know who's truly in the church. Persecution causes masks to drop. And they, what do they do? Run. Run. So yes, we should pray for the persecuted church. My encouragement is that more prayer be given to the compromised church. If they die, they receive the crown of life, and they wouldn't want to come back. A lot of people, as Ray pointed out this morning, will call out on the last day, Lord, Lord, here we are. Depart from me. I never knew you. You claim to know me. I don't know you. Depart from me. My presence. Gentle Jesus. The judge. Gospel. These men are unwavering. All right. Got all that? Okay, let's wrap up. Consider some things. Question, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you here wanting to be equipped for the work of the ministry within and the work of evangelism without? That's why we're here. That's why we should be here. Are you willing, are you wanting to stand on the truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel? That is given to living one simple way. Verse 29, we must obey God rather than man. Are we to subject ourselves to governing authorities? Yes, we are. And we better do so. Until they tell us to violate, until they command us to violate God's commanded will for us, then we must disobey man and obey our Lord. I mean, have you ever been confronted with a situation where you have had to say these words, I must obey God, rather than you. Now, although you may not say those words directly, as a Christian, you and I, you are constantly, continually conveying that message in this fallen, dark, depraved, God-hating, Christ-rejecting world, because this world is constantly vying for your attention, wanting and grabbing and clutching at you. Right? Therefore, we must always be asking this fundamental question. Who am I going to trust, serve, and obey? The Lord? Or this knucklehead world? You know, it may be something as simple as an unbelieving family member who says this. Surely you can miss church service for Aunt Betty's birthday party. And then when you show up late to the party because you came to church, because God commands you to be in church, what you're saying is, I obey God rather than man. I don't know how many times I've heard people, I don't see them for four, five, six weeks. Hey, man, where you been? Uh, mm, uh, mm. Family obligations, you know. Don't want to upset the apple cart. If you crumble at that, how are you going to stand when there's real heat? Amen? Come on. Okay, so I'll have to say we need boldness. Amen? We need boldness. You feel beat up? You shouldn't. feel convicted? We all should. Now be encouraged. So we need boldness, okay? Proverbs 28.1 says, the righteous are bold as a... Lion. Now you may say, I'm no lion, man. Man, I can't tell you. You know, I share the gospel I have for years. I can't tell you how many times I've failed to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ when given just an awesome opportunity. Okay? So I'm with y'all. We all need courage. But before we understand what courage is, we have to put to death some Christian cliches. Okay? One cliche is this. You're never more safe than when you're in God's will. You ever heard that? You ever said that? You're never more safe than when you're in God's will. Well, if they mean physical safety, um, Jesus disagrees. Because he said, you will be delivered up, even by your own family members, and some of them, they'll put you to death because of me. Kill that. We talked about this Thursday night with the men. Now, God, he's promised many, many wonderful things to his people. Physical safety, for his namesake, is not one of them. Amen? Following Jesus, bearing witness of Jesus Christ, may lead you into great physical danger. It's right here. In just one chapter, Stephen will be stoned. By the time we get to chapter 12, brother James has his head cut off. James will be put to death. Here's another cliche that needs to die. God will never give you more than you can handle. Oh, that sounds sweet. Doesn't it? Don't say that. He will give you more than you can handle so that you lean into him. He'll never give you more than he can handle. So when you think you have more than you can handle, you press into him, and that's his whole purpose and point to allowing things in our lives. American evangelical cliches. Some of them are very silly. So boldness here in holding forth the word of life, friends, it doesn't mean you're never afraid. Do you ever, get, you ever fear, feel fearful when you're getting ready to present the gospel? It doesn't mean you're not scared. It doesn't mean you're not nervous. In fact, we read right here, some measure of nervousness and fear is assumed. Therefore, you're called to be courageous. You don't need courage if, you're, if, if there's not some, some level of fear. Amen? So may we pray for it. You need boldness when you're doing something risky. You don't need boldness when you're on your couch in front of your TV. Right? No, something risky, like the the challenge of speaking about Jesus to your classmate or or the the family member who thinks Christianity's intolerant and you're intolerant. You need courage to speak gospel truth. Now, We have all the strength we need, as we see here, because Christ's life is in us. So, we're witnesses, verse 32, of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Paul puts it beautifully in Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, you remember back in chapter 4, we, we, we learned that we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5. And we're filled by the Spirit by way of letting the word of Christ dwell in us, what? Richly. We grow in boldness when we, when we learn to trust in the sovereignty of God. And in addition to all of that is to pray as they did for what? For boldness. To proclaim his name. Now, this boldness or life in Christ in you will produce two things that we see here in the text. And after they were beaten, they were filled with or overflowed with joy. They overflowed with joy, and their boldness increased, and they continued to preach the gospel when they were told not to. Why? Because they understood, at a much deeper level, their union, the union they have with Christ. We're suffering for Christ because we're saved by Christ, We represent him. We proclaim him. When we understand that, we begin to see what's most important. Amen? Very important things. So our eyes are open then to be able to rejoice in the right things. This is their sanctification on display. And Jesus said this, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you. When people insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's our union, a living union. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great where? In heaven. I I don't even know what that means. It's there and it's great. So the apostles see their suffering as confirmation of their union with Christ. And that makes the gospel, friends, unstoppable. Unstoppable. Why are you here? Because the gospel's unstoppable. It didn't stop these men. They all went on to die for the gospel, with the exception of John. Who was imprisoned on an island where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So the theme of Acts is that the gospel is unstoppable. Gamaliel's words, unbeknownst to him, were correct. If this plan is of man, it will fail. If it is of God, it will not be overthrown. And we're reminded of the words of Isaiah, the prophet from which we opened the service this morning. He will accomplish all his purpose. Amen? What a great way to end this chapter They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It was their great joy, beloved, to participate in the shame and humiliation of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. May that, beloved, may that be the honor and willingness of our hearts. Amen? We're reminded of it as we come to the table. Amen? I apologize if I went a little long today, but you'll thank me later. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us to come and, and condescend and to take on humiliation. You, the Lord of glory, to come and to do what we could never do, obey the Father perfectly, and then to lay down your life, your body would be broken, your blood would be shed. Lord, help us, all my dear brothers and sisters here. For myself, I pray, that you will help us to understand the depth of the union that we have with you through Christ as we come to the table here this morning, as we go out these doors this afternoon. Help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous. Please give us wisdom. Please grant us discernment in sharing the gospel, to minister to one another within and to evangelize those um, out there who are lost as healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. Give us strength to do so. We need it. We're helpless without you. We pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen.